On Cinema Smorgasbord presents How Do You Do, Fellow Kids, we discuss the life and film career of the always unique character actor Steve Buscemi. On this episode, we're talking about the Dennis Dugan-directed buddy comedy starring Adam Sandler and Kevin James. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. How do you do, fellow kids? I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as usual is my partner in life, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? Well, I've been better, Doug. I've been a lot better. Because <laughs> well, we've, done, we've done a lot of episodes of this particular show that didn't make me regret having a Steve Buscemi podcast. But guess what? That that time has ended, officially, today. This is now... Do you like you're jumping ahead a little, Liam, on your feelings on I'm just putting <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. Look, we're going to get into it, y'all, but I just want to put it out there that... If I was, you know, in charge of this particular show, mm-hmm. I would just skip this movie forever. <laughs> I would just skip it, never cover it, pretend it never happened. But well, we're not I- doing that because Doug is a man of integrity and of obsessiveness. I think obsessiveness that's obsessiveness more than integrity, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> I, it, it, there- I think it's both. I think it's both because I think if it was just obsessiveness, you would be a little more picky sometimes than you are. But I think. It's obsessiveness and integrity. I think you would feel bad if we just always skip the bad stuff. Yes, that is absolutely the case. And honestly, people, I think, like to hear uh, people. like that's You know, lots of podcasts are just watching terrible stuff and they go, oh, my God, it's so terrible. And even though I get a little burned out on that sort of thing, I can see the appeal, Liam. Uh, though that is not what we do on this show. On this show, we cover the life and work of actor Steve Buscemi, who uh, does feature... In I Now Pronounce You, Chuck and Larry, a controversial movie from the year 2007 that we're going to be talking about a little bit later. But Liam, I'm getting the impression that you didn't enjoy yourself watching this movie. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's an understatement, actually, yes. I know, again, it is jumping ahead. Like, Did you expect that you might enjoy it going in? No, but I expected the intensity of negative reaction that I've encountered from other people to be a bit overstated, right? I thought, I know a lot of people hate this movie, but surely, though it will be bad, there'll be something about it that is enjoyable. Uh, or maybe that that's even overstating my case. Sure. I, I kind of thought it would be unpleasant, but, well, you know, we have already, co- we have covered some unpleasant movies on this particular show. We covered The Cobbler, right? <laughs> which is a bad <laughs> which is a bad movie and guess what i will take the cobbler three times in a row oh most definitely over this movie and so that's it, the problem right is that it's similarly that to the cobbler it has a lot of very talented people involved in this case uh yes. with with well anyway we'll get to that in just a little bit first liam we need to talk about a very serious issue which is that those greedy actors and writers in hollywood they're out for themselves again they're striking to get more millions into their already overstuffed pockets. <laughs> you can't do this character. I don't know why you try to do this character. You can't live into it. 
No, I can't. It, it's true. Uh, what is going on is that, uh, quite rightly, the writers and actors in Hollywood are currently on strike as of the time of the recording of this episode uh, because they have some very serious issues that need addressing. Actually, probably needed addressing many years ago, but certainly things have come to a peak at this point. And as of a couple of days ago, there was a demonstration in Times Square, and one of the people who spoke on that in that uh, uh, demonstration, which included Wendell Pierce from The Wire, Jessica Chastain, Brendan Fraser, and Christian Slater, one of the people who talked was Steve Buscemi, who is saying that the strike is about more than just protecting actors and writers from artificial intelligence. He said, we are here because so much is at stake, fair pay, revenue sharing, health care, retirement funding, a fair casting process, AI protection, and fair compensation. He also started, Liam, uh, when he arrived, he said, How do you do, fellow actors? Which is a nod to his most famous line that also gives this podcast its name. Yes, that's true, and I love it. It's fair. It's funny to me, at least. So what, what should we do about this here strike? Uh, murder all the studio heads. That sounds like okay. a good start. All right. Satire. Uh, <laughs> satire. No, I mean, I got to say that now, Liam. I've already been thrown off of one social network. I don't Yeah, that's anymore. fair. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, look, it's, it's you know, I, I don't think anyone who listens to us needs an argument to convince them. But in case anyone does, the, the easiest analog for me is with sports, right? As you know, Doug, I am a... You're a sporto. I am a effeminate uh, beta male who not only doesn't enjoy sports, but has a uh, unfair, almost Nietzschean resentment. As one of the weak, I have a resentment of the strong. And I see sports people, of, of most sports, there's some sports that are goofy enough that I respect them, but most Slam people... Slam ball, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But most people who have any kind of <laughs> athletic prowess, I, I hate them on principle. And mm-hmm. so you'd think as a hater of sports, I would think that sportsmen and sportswomen are overpaid monsters who should be destroyed on sight. But here's the deal, right? I don't get when people complain about how much money sport sportos make because some asshole who doesn't even play the sport is making a hundred times that yep. off of their labor. And yeah. so to me, sportos should make a lot of money because sports make a lot of money. If we're going to waste all this dumb, stupid money on stupid sports that are stupid, then the people who participate in those sports, though they are morally corrupt and unworthy of human compassion – should get some of that fucking money. That's it. It doesn't matter how I feel about the thing. If what you do makes money, you deserve some of that money. And this idea that the boss deserves all the money is some real fucking psychotic bullshit. And that's the deal with the actors, right? Yes, there are actors who make a lot of money. But chances are... Very few, by the way. Very, very few. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's what I was about to say. A, very few of them do. Most actors don't make a lot of money. And B, some dickhead who didn't even show up on set is taking home an incredible bonus because he went, let's do this one and not that one. That's literally what he brought to the fucking conversation. Even when they fail, they get gigantic bonuses, right? Exactly. Even when they're doing observably a terrible job. Yeah, it's really strange. I will say that the weirdest pushback I see from people on social media is the idea that oh, movies are so terrible right now and they want all of this money. They want more money even though movies... It's like, do you want them to be even fucking worse? Because that is literally the only other option that you have here, right? It's not that... Right, if they get paid less, they're not going to be making better movies or movies that you're. And honestly, I don't necessarily even agree that movies are any are demonstrably worse this year than they were ten years ago. Well, and I think also we run into this issue a lot. Like, I would love to. You know, every time I see a terrible movie, like today's movie, for example, blame a director and go punch that director in the face. But we know fucking Dugan. 
We know. <laughs> well, in this case, I think it was just a bad idea top to bottom. But plenty of movies that end up being unenjoyable, you can't actually even blame one person for, let alone the actors, because oftentimes the actors have some of the least say. They just show up. They do what they're asked to do, especially the people who need the help, right? The actors who are lower down, who aren't big money actors. They're just working. They're doing what they want to do. And chances are half of them are thinking, man, I wish I had better movies to be in, right? That's not their fucking fault. And if anything, the people most to blame, if you think entertainment is bad right now, the are people the most to blame oh, no. no, are these <laughs> fucking executives and producers who won't give a chance to anything that seems weird. I mean, uh, again... I get a lot of people don't like this movie, but I think the evidence that actually people are hungry for something that isn't the most obvious IP bullshit is everything everywhere all at once, right? Yeah. It is a weird, possibly stupid movie. I love it, but I get why some people think it's stupid. But it made a fuck ton of money because someone gave it a chance, right? Absolutely. And in the end, and that's the other thing I keep hearing people being like, how come A24 gets to keep working while these other studios have to stop? Because they pre-agreed to the deal. They literally said, hey, uh, Union, whatever deal you come up with, we'll just back pay whatever that is if you let us keep shooting. Like, I don't care how big it is. I don't care what you end up with. We agree. We pre-agree to any deal you're able to get. I don't care what it is. We'll do it. And guess what? Then the union's like, sounds good. Keep doing the work you got to do because, uh, you know, A24 is a company that's like, yeah, actors deserve more. That's fine. Cool. Sounds good. Let's do that. Sounds great. I mean, I still don't think that they should be shooting during a strike. I think that everyone should shut down uh, regardless of level. I feel like the solidarity comes with everyone doing it as opposed to even small independents. I get it sucks. I get it. They're getting, getting See, hit the See, not hardest. if you've already agreed. This is actually – it's actually the exact opposite. If you are part of a union that is working with multiple companies and one of the companies has already agreed to your demands, it's quite the opposite. You want them to keep going. That's like actual strategy. You want them to stay open because it fucks over the people that you're trying to uh, put pressure on. But That's isn't, like a isn't good part strategy. of the pressure involved the public who are part of the expectation is, look, the things that you love, the things that you enjoy in regards to entertainment, you are not going to be getting. But if you're telling them that, yeah, you're still going to be getting some of that. You won't be getting all of it. You might not get the big versions of it, but you'll still get some of it. I mean, you know, you're not even supposed to prom- like even I feel conflicted even about the idea today of us recording a podcast promoting upcoming work of someone like Steve Buscemi, because the promotion of upcoming work is part of the things that have been cut off. By the strike. Well, I'm actually okay with not promoting upcoming work, although the union um, said that if you are, you know, a critic, which is in theory what we're doing, sure. you can you can still keep working. That's fine. Uh, they're more concerned with like influencers and things like that who are getting paid Certainly. to do promotion stuff. And, on, and I mean, we're under no obligation either way because no, 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 no. But I, but I think a solidarity in that sense, totally. I, I think the strategy that you're saying doesn't doesn't actually work. If you have people who are willing to play ball, you want those people to that actually puts a different pressure on because what it says to people is, hey, you get big products from these folks. So like put it into a different market. Every clothing company won't work with a union except for one. That still means the fact that that one company is going to keep having product is actually good because that company isn't going to have uh, financial issues. The pressure you want is on the company, 
Right. And so I think you got to cut off the tap. I mean, that's part of it, right? It's about starving the community to make sure that they realize that there's there's impacts to this, right? There's got to be outcry publicly as well as pressure because I don't think the studios right now feel that much fucking pressure. Well, I don't think they're going to feel I don't particularly think they're going to feel the pressure just from public opinion. I think they're only going to feel the pressure financially. I think that's the only pressure that you're going to really get. I don't think public opinion is going to really matter that much to them. Going back to the article, it is nice to see Steve Buscemi kind of front and center, as you kind of would expect. He seems like the kind of stand-up person that would be, you know, uh, be at the front lines of something oh, like totally. this. Oh, totally. 100%. Um, yeah. And it, it's nice seeing that that kind of list of names as well of, uh, of other actors who are kind of front and center. And that is, you kind of do see a visibility of certain actors in these kind of situations. And it kind of, it's heartening. It's heartening to see actually actors of different stripes and different backgrounds kind of all marching together. That's one of the great things about unions and union activity anyway, which, which I think it's, whatever our, our disagreements on this particular topic, I think Liam and I both are pushing in the same direction in regards to this. Oh, yeah, smash these fucking – I mean, you know, the the most ideal isn't even just that they get a good deal, but that the fucking federal government steps in and realizes most of these companies represent massive monopolies that Absolutely. shouldn't exist mm-hmm. in – I mean, don't be wrong. I would prefer not a capitalist system, but if we're going to keep pretending that capitalism is good, we should at least follow the rules that we say we're going to follow. And right now, we're not just living in capitalism. We're living in a fucking oligarchical night, oligarchical nightmare where all these rules that we think make the system fair, we ignore anyway. So these giant fucking companies shouldn't even be a thing, let alone uh, letting them do whatever the fuck they want. You know, Break them apart. Redistribute. Anyway, yes, I'm glad to see it, too. And I'm glad that the actors, a lot of the actors uh, uh, guild protests have also joined up with the writers, because I think that when the writers went on strike first, there was a real question of if the actors would stand with them or not. And I, I think it's good that they are. And of course, the directors guild are cowards for not standing with the actors and writers. I mean... That is my opinion, and uh, I feel pretty good about it. I get that there are different perspectives, but I think I'm not saying of- all the individual directors who obviously right. have different opinions on this are, are but I mean, the the guild certainly should have. Stood they should have you. done something. Yes, they should have. Yeah. There should have been. I I just think part of the issue here too is that I hope that such a visible strike is inspiring to other unions you know i think it i think um you know uh it's helpful that uh the union uh, agreement with ups went through but yeah. i hope that doesn't take away the the uh the the momentum from other yeah. unions yeah i think teamsters I next year are maybe hoping to strike yeah we'll yeah. see yeah so liam steve buscemi is an actor and over at startyfacts.com they released an article about Steve Buscemi's five most underrated performances that we need to stop ignoring. That's what it's called, Liam. We need to stop ignoring these five performances. I'm just going to list them for us. We can have a little talk about it. One of them is The Death of Stalin, which we featured on this very show. The second is Escape from L.A., the John Carpenter sequel to Escape from New York. The next is Big Daddy, directed by Dennis Dugan. The Is it Dennis Dugan? I think so. Directed by the very director of the movie we're going to be talking about today. Then is the wonderful In the Soup. And the fifth is his appearance on the television show ER. Liam, any thoughts on this uh, big top five list? Um, He is great in The Death of Stalin. He Death really of Stalin, is amazing. Death of Stalin, he's great. I don't remember 
him in Escape from L.A. I don't remember a lot about Escape from L.A. I don't have a lot of affection for it. Maybe I need to revisit it, but my memory is just that I didn't really like it very much, and I haven't really felt like going back to it. I remember when I saw it on VHS for the first time, and I had not seen Escape from New York at that point. So, I mean, the context was very bad. But my lingering thought at that first viewing was really two thoughts. One, hey, cool, Bruce Campbell's in this. And two, boy, the CG in this is bad, which I think is a reputation that it has generally. There is a lot of wacky stuff in it. And maybe that is something that now that I know it's there, uh, that I would, you know, enjoy a little bit more. But it seems tonally so different from the first one. But still, a pretty wild movie. I don't think I remember anything about Big Daddy, actually. That's the one about the, he has the kid that he has to take care of? Well, yeah, I can figure that out from the title, but I don't remember well, apparently, any jokes. Well, apparently, I don't him. fucking know. I'm just asking questions. What is Steve? Do you remember Steve Buscemi's role in Big Daddy? What does no, he do? No, not at all. I've never yeah. seen Big Daddy. Uh, just like, And that is one thing that maybe we can get into right now. Uh, I was going to bring it up after the break, which is that I, I think we maybe have talked about this. It's not like I dislike all Adam Sandler movies. I actually like a lot of those 90s Adam Sandler movies like The Wedding Singer and Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison. Very much seen them many times before. So I approach the movie that we're going to be talking about today with the idea that, oh, look, it's in bad taste. But if it has that kind of humor in it, I'll probably still get some laughs out of it. There's still performers here I like. There's a lot of talented people involved. I actually kind of like the dumbass Adam Sandler schlubby character that he plays in all this. So... What we got was a little different than what I was expecting, not in a pleasant way, I would say, Liam. But what are, what like have you seen a lot of these Adam Sandler movies post, say, Happy Gilmore? I think I jumped off at Little Nicky. I think Little right. Nicky was when I went, No, you know what? I think I'm done with this guy. And then oh, I had boy, yeah. That was a breaking point for me as well. Yeah. I don't think I've seen <laughs> anything after Little Nicky unless it was for this fucking podcast, right? Uh I will say, in general, I'm an Adam Sandler defender. Until having watched this, the movie we're discussing today. In fact, I would say this movie has turned me so hard on him that I'm now an Adam Sandler hater. Uh, because <clears throat> my feeling was a lot of the early movies are pretty good. Then he just kind of gave up and just made money. But he's got a few things. I kind of think funny people's better than people give it credit for. First half in particular is so good. I think yeah, that was a very yeah. great first half of the movie, yeah. honestly. I think uh, uh, Punch Drunk Love is still a fucking masterpiece, and I will, you know, die on that hill. Like it's, I've rewatched it multiple times, ready to fall out of love with it, and it never sure. happens. I I am in love with that movie. I think the shitty movie he did after that, that was also supposed to be dramatic, is kind of fun for me, even though it's kind of bad. Where he plays the chef, you know, do you know that movie? What is that called? Oh, Spanglish. Is that that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's bad. But also, it's kind of fun for me how bad it is. Sure. And it does certain things that I find kind of fun. So I, I, I'm i a little like, oh, that's okay. And then, of course, like a lot of people, I like Righteous Gems. Or not Righteous Gems, so I'm an idiot. Uh, Uncut Gems. But I will say, now that the Safdie brothers have a bit of shit on their name because of yeah, their set true, conduct, yeah. that combined with seeing this movie, I'm like, never mind. I'm off of the let's defend Adam Sandler train and back on the fuck that idiot. Doesn't he like Trump? Fuck him train. So that's where I'm back. <laughs> I'm the Howie the that dude sucks whatever and the thing is is that I did like a lot of those early Adam Sandler movies some of them I've revisited I don't feel like I'm giving anything up by not liking or not caring about them. you know what I mean like there are some comedies I can revisit forever but I don't think I'll miss being like well I'm not really into Adam Sandler so I'm just gonna not watch Billy Madison again 
That's fine. I don't need what to watch it Hubie ever again. What about Halloween? You were such a big fan of that movie. Well, I wasn't a big fan. I said I was surprised how not terrible it was. <laughs> and that was part of my member. That was the beginning of my Adam Sandler assaults, where I'm like, you know what? Fuck you guys. Adam Sandler's not so bad. But now that I've actually seen this Chuck and Larry bullshit, well, we'll get to it. But point is, I'm no longer on the let's defend Adam Sandler train. That guy can eat it, eat, eat my whole ass. Liam, Steve Buscemi's The Grand Duke starts shooting in New York in January 2024. This is an upcoming indie feature, The Grand Duke, uh, produced by Shack Films. The movie revolves around Nick, a 50-year-old professor at New York University who hopes to make a low-budget film. Suddenly, because of family troubles, he has to rush back home to his weed-smoking 90-year-old mother. When she learns about his film, she organizes a family reunion to secure a financier among their supposedly wealthy relatives. A part of the narrative is told through flashbacks and psychedelic trips, offering us a chaotic ride through family ties, 19th century Russia, and legendary parrots. What do you think about this, Liam, the Grand Duke? I have to say, that sounds really good, actually. I'm, curi- I'm curious about it. Uh, see, okay, so this is, this is a good example to me. I don't know what indie means, right? Yeah, right. I don't know who's course. putting this out. But assuming this is actually indie, this is where I don't know that I'm as sold on absolute solidarity as as, as you were saying earlier, only in that I, I am at the point where I think the economy around actual independent films, not uh, this mega corporation owns a slightly smaller corporation that's going to make a movie, but a movie that's actually made by a company not owned by one of the like big six or whatever the fuck it is. Uh, that feels almost like a different economy to me that feels separate from the main Hollywood economy. And maybe that is unrealistic, you know, but that's just sort of my thought on it. So I'm kind of stoked that this might still happen, though it might not because there's all kinds of other circumstances that might go into play. And if it doesn't happen, I'm also not in the space that I think some people are where like culture is going to die because of the strike. If a if a not one movie comes out for a while, it's not the end of the world. It I really I mean, don't. I mean, I I can't imagine people having that opinion after we went through a pandemic that basically you know uh, no new content was coming out generally for almost two years. I mean, what it was was just stuff that was either either rushed through or done right. in very specific right. circumstances. It certainly it slowed the tide. But I could see this idea that I think a lot of people have that if. The strike. I've seen a lot of people suggest that if the strike allows independent features to get a little more room to breathe, that that means at least now there's some sort of competition. Because in reality, there is almost no competition. And I think A24 is a bad example only because everyone knows A24. But most companies that aren't A24 that also aren't owned by a bigger company – you don't know. The American public doesn't, for the most part, doesn't even know that there is still art house cinema. Like the the idea that there are movies that aren't major Hollywood movies, because we're nerds, we think like, well, we all know about them. We may not like them, but we know they exist. And I've talked to enough normals in the town I live now to know people don't know that those exist anymore. They thought that ended. They were like, yeah, that was a thing Quentin Tarantino did in the 90s, but <laughs> those movies don't exist anymore. It's like, they do, actually. There's a whole world of those movies. So part of me is kind of like okay with that idea. But I also think, Doug, you do have a point that like maybe all these productions need to shut down for there to really feel like we're, we're cutting off the flow. I'm just kind of torn on that. I, I don't know. I go back and forth. But the movie sounds silly. We're going to probably cover it at some point. So assuming we stick with this as long as we did Eric Roberts. So I'm kind of <laughs> stoked to see it. You know, uh, uh, Liam, uh, I, I, we've talked a little bit about already the strike. So I feel like we've gone on a little bit. Let us take a break. I know we've been trying to put it off, but it's time. When we come back, we're going to talk about 2007's. 
I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Fuck. I now pronounce you husband and husband. You may kiss the husband. Kiss the husband. That's how we roll in our house, baby. Hell yeah. <laughs> if this marriage is something you've cooked up in response to this pension problem, you are not taking me down with you. This marriage is the only way I can make sure my kids get my pension if something happens to me. This summer... Mr. Valentine? Yeah. I'd like to talk to you about your domestic partnership. Oh, jeez. Two of New York's bravest are going to turn a little lie. Your domestic partnership is being challenged by the city. You guys have nothing to worry about because you're a legitimate gay couple, right? Into a whole new way of life. Oh, yeah, we're, uh, no, we're big-time fruits. Oh, I like men. The way they smell and... Okay. This investigation is going to Two straight, single Brooklyn firefighters pretend to be a gay couple in order to receive domestic partner benefits. It's 2007's I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry, directed by Dennis Dugan, the director of the classic Problem Child, as well as the very good uh, movie Brain Donors. Before then, moving into the Adam Sandler-verse with Happy Gilmore, then into Big Daddy, as we already mentioned, You Don't Mess With the Zohan, Grown Ups, Jack and Jill, and Grown Ups 2. Uh, literally a murderer's row, well, not literally, figuratively a murderer's row of writers on this, starting with Barry Fanaro. Uh, he's best known for serving as the writer and executive producer of The Golden Girls during its first four seasons. He also helped to write The Farley Brothers' Kingpin and Men in Black 2. And Alexander Payne is one of the writers on this. Uh, of course, the writer of Election and, and director, actually, of Election about Schmidt, Sideways, The Descendants. Nebraska and 2017's Terrible Downsizing. Two-time winner of the Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay. He often works with Jim Taylor, who also worked on this film. Worked with him on Citizen Ruth Election, Jurassic Park 3 he worked on as well. About Schmidt, Sideways, etc., etc., etc. Starring, of course, the wonderful Adam Sandler as Chuck. Kevin James as Larry. We have Jessica Biel, Dan Aykroyd, Ving Rhames, Steve Buscemi, of course, Nicholas Turturro, and a lot of Alder, uh, Adam Sandler regulars and SNL uh, appearers here, Liam. Uh, I feel a little deflated with this. Now, going back into what I was saying before the break, which is the idea that I actually went into this thinking, you know what, I might be a little embarrassed at what I'm going to be laughing at here, because this is, I know it's going to be in bad taste, I know it's going to be a little dated, but at, at their core... These are big-hearted people trying to make a big-hearted movie about a very serious issue, homophobia, and what I thought going into it was another serious issue, healthcare. I thought they were getting married to get healthcare. I thought it was meant to be a commentary. That is not what they're doing here. All it is is he's trying to get around this weird pension thing, right, Where because his wife has passed away and the paperwork has gotten really complex, and instead of doing the paperwork and trying to get around this red tape, he gets married. He gets gay married instead. I thought it was going to be for like this really kind of like, again, I thought it was going to be for a point, making a point. The only point that this movie has to make, Liam, is that gay people, we shouldn't be as scared of them as we are, but they're also kind of weird and unpleasant. We should stay away from them if at all possible. And that also goes for people who are different in any way from us, because this movie makes great hay out of how funny it is to be Japanese, to be a woman to be anybody that's not Adam Sandler, who, by the way, remember that schlub character I was talking about before the break? Doesn't play that schlub here. Here he is unbelievably attractive to all women who 
particularly weirdly Asian women who just want to fuck him no matter what. He is going to bed literally with an entire restaurant full of Hooters uh, um, uh, waitresses. He's he's having sex with doctors who, who at first seem to hate him. He's having sex with everybody. Nineteen people come out at one point saying how much they had sex with him. Kevin James is an average family man who just also happens to be thoroughly unpleasant and filled with gay panic and also has one child who may or may not be gay and he cannot stand it. And uh, that's just what this movie is all about, Liam. And I feel very upset for having watched it and having made you watch it. What did you think of We Now Pronounce You, Chuck and Larry? I mean, look, Doug, here's the thing. There are, I don't think a lot of people, but there are some people who probably have the idea that we are some sort of like morality police because we can't help but bring up when things suck. So let me be vulnerable for a moment and admit that there are things I like that also are to some extent regrettable. So for example, I love the movie House Party. Love it. Sure. Mm-hmm. The jail scene is some of the most homophobic bullshit I've ever seen. And if I could, I would like a version of that movie where they just cut the whole jail scene out. Or uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Still very much enjoy Beverly Hills Cop. I wouldn't say I love it, but it, it's got a lot of value to me. Some really regrettable jokes in Beverly Hills Cop, right? There are things that I can see the value of, despite the fact that there are aspects of them that are detestable to me, utterly detestable to me. I mean, frankly, Liam, our backgrounds, to a certain extent, are in like 70s exploitation movies, and that's full right. of that sort of thing. Right. Yes. And Although, we don't just apologize. I mean, even though we acknowledge them when we talk about them, we're not just constantly apologizing for them. We can talk about things that we can still enjoy with the understanding that there are problematic elements within them. I think that's part of being critical about a movie. And this movie, besides having a lot of unacknowledged sexism and racism, is trying to address a problem and is failing so fucking hard at addressing it because it has not actually interrogated its own homophobia. You can't make a movie that's supposed to be education. Cause that's the thing y'all. It's not like it's just a movie about a topic that then sort of happens to have homophobic aspects in it. It is a movie that, as Doug put it, thinks it is in good faith addressing something and trying to make that something better. And at its at its center, this this is a movie that thinks it's woke, right? That this right. is this is a movie. No that one was saying woke, itself then, woke. But yes, yes, no, yes, no. Yes, but yes. that's what I know. But you know, if if you were to release this in 2023, just with the concept. Oh, these firefighters, they're going to get gay married, and this is a movie about celebrating queer lifestyles, yes. and that it would be seen as woke, and then you watch it. <laughs> it is. At every moment, there is no joke, no punchline other than gay, right? That there is, there's no joke about being gay, about being gay in a world that hates you, about being straight and realizing that the whole world is for you. There are multiple jokes in a movie that's supposed to empower gay people where the only punchline is that there are gay people, that people are attracted. And by the way... There's also, by the way, only one version of gay people. Yes, which I, is, should, I should say, yeah. this is really about men who love men. Um, there are not any trans characters. There are no, except for a few shots here and there, there's not really any lesbians. They don't talk about that sort of world. And even more, in a, in a way that's essential to the plot, 
there's no acknowledgement that bisexuality is a thing. One of the most important parts of this narrative is that Adam Sandler can't keep up the act that he's gay, or at least that he's attracted to Kevin James, because he's fucked all these women, right? Yeah. As if there aren't people who fuck anybody who wants to fuck them. Let, not even just bisexual, right? Like, pansexual, pansexual exists. Yeah. And this movie, there's no, it's just a question of, hey, look, there's this group of people that we can't stand. They are men who have sex with men. But for some reason that is not compelling in any way, shape, or form, we have to pretend to be those people. And in pretending to be those people, we realize, hey, maybe we're a little too mean to those people, even though caring about those people in a way that humanizes them is also gross. So, I mean, honestly, Doug, the way that this movie treats gay people, this could be a movie about being nicer to a gross animal. Right, yeah. like mm-hmm. this could be a movie about. I mean, honestly, this it, could, it, it only goes as far as they're not so bad guys, right? That's, that's as far exactly as they're willing it. to go. That's exactly it. What's I was actually just thinking. What's crazy is that this movie treats gay people the way that a lot of uh, uh, a lot of like centrist liberals talk about like fascists. Like, yeah, yeah they're still human though. Like, yeah. that's how this movie treats gay people. Like, hey, we have an insight for you, world. You know those gross people that are so gross and they're gross and look, we want to remind you how gross they are? They also deserve to not be murdered. How about that? All right, let's move on with our lives. Also, don't touch me, you motherfucker. Like, that's still part of this movie and it's infuriating. There is no joke in the movie that works. There is no insight into any of these characters. Uh, Even the parts with... Jessica Beale, who I want to have positive emotions towards because of my childhood crush, are all bad. There's just yeah. nothing endearing here. And it's so fucking frustrating. And even as they are at their most self-righteous, they're going to the court. They're going to say all this stuff about me, and we're going to see the firefighters finally accept them. We still got to have David Spade in a fucking dress. We still got to insert that into Nick the Nick Swordsman still jumping up and down. I mean, again, the only gay actor that I know about, I'm not, I'm, I, I can't say I know everyone there, is Richard Chamberlain at its core. And of course, he's not acknowledged as being gay. He's the one who's supposed to be, you know, they've separated that entirely. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, the guy uh, from InSync who's gay is in the movie at the end. Well, yes, but he shows up after that court no, sequence. No, no, I mean, but that's what I'm saying. Like, that's one of the few. That's how... But the joke there is, the we all know he's gay, right? The joke is, it's still look, a there's joke. that gay guy. He showed up, a real well, gay guy. And let's talk a little bit about Ving Rhames, right? Like, the whole point with Ving Rhames is that he's a big, scary black man. Because mm-hmm. any black man who is big, like he is, is scary to white people, no matter what. And then the big reveal is, oh no, he's gay. And then the way that we know he's gay is not just his confession but he starts acting effeminate because of course there's no such thing as a big strong scary gay man they're only scary because they're not big and strong they are men who are not fulfilling their obligation to be men and so that's how we know that he's gay that's something that's reinforced all all the time by the way is that really gay men just want to be women that's their whole deal that's why who's the like the question of who's the woman in this relationship is something that's asked again and again which is such a cliched horseshit fucking thing i mean i think in in essence doug we're we are doing the work of uh, unintentionally of really analyzing what a lot of homophobia in this country is about it's not actually about sex it's about male identity that men are so convinced that being men is so important that they see something off about gay men because in some way they are being women, which is, by the way, doesn't make any sense. This is a world, right? If you are 
a certain kind of gay man, you could be in a world where you only know other men. It could be the least female world. Yep. Ever. And you could never interact with any women's issues or anything female. You could really be that person if you want, if you are gay. So this idea that somehow they are women is really about male insecurity, about what it means to be a man. And also, and why would you want to be a woman in the world of this movie where they're treated like absolute, Awful. literally objects, right? Just like completely unworthy of knowing anything about them outside of how they look. The concept at the core of this movie, Liam, yes. which is two homophobic firefighters are, for, are you know forced because of circumstance into this situation where they have to understand the queer lifestyle, right? And the way that they try to pretend to be queer is that they do all the things that, that are the cliches, all the stereotypes, and then they discover, wait, that's not working, and they start to interact with actual queer people and find out, oh, wait, there's not just one kind of queer person. They're not all these mincing stereotypes. They're not all you know, Charles Nelson Riley. There, there's lots of different kinds. They, I can just be myself and be queer and I can fulfill this, this, this act, this role that I'm playing because it can be anybody. That's the movie that this is supposed to be. That's not what it is. This movie says the only way to be queer is to be effeminate and to always, and, and, and honestly, the only way to fulfill the role of pretending to be queer is to be more effeminate in your everyday life, which is such a bullshit reductive fucking garbage thing to be announcing and again every like 98 percent of the queer people that they encounter in this movie are just straight actors pretending to be gay there's a thing that some of our younger listeners might not know about which is that in the 70s there were a number of news programs that did this thing they thought was so fucking smart where they put white people in blackface and yeah. had them go out into the world and learn through just everyday interactions that oh my gosh did you know white people are mean to black people. Holy shit. Oh my God. And it was really like this feeling of like, only by encountering the racism of other white people could white people learn that maybe the world is a little bit racist, right? Which is, by the way, utterly insane. The idea that no white person could ever figure out that white superior, you know, uh, uh, that white fucking power is a thing in the world, that we're living in a uh, 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 racist uh, environment. They could never yeah, figure that was that mocked, out. by the way, in a very famous SNL sketch where exactly. Eddie Murphy puts I, on whiteface. Yeah, absolutely. exactly. That's I was thinking the same thing, right? The, that is the essence of this movie. These men could never figure out that homophobia is bad until they suffer it themselves. They could never know. How would they know, Doug? How could they ever know? How could they empathize with another human being that isn't exactly (laughs) like themselves? And I think that's the thing. The movie would make more sense if it was about them learning about the diversity of even just gay men. But that's not what it's about. It's about them learning that people being mean to you sucks, right? There's no effort in the movie to humanize the people that are being treated poorly, right? The closest we get is the protest at the end where we actually see some gay people talk and be mad. That's the only moment where we see like, oh, there's there's a couple different kind of folks here. But the movie is saying you should be violent to these people. Like exactly. when someone cuz exactly. there's a scene, there's a scene outside of the party where uh Adam Sandler is out there and Rob Corddry plays a I think he's he's a religious figure who is yelling at them, saying that queer life is wrong, that gays shouldn't exist, and Adam Sandler punches him in the face. And the movie definitely presents that as the right thing for him to have done. 
it's also another way that they can use the hard F. They want to use the hard F in this movie. It's literally, it, again, it would be like a movie about, uh, uh, you know, white people experiencing racism, but everybody really wants to drop the N-word, like, so yeah. bad. Like, that's the the excitement. This movie does that a lot. And the very idea that there aren't tons of gay people out here who have done their own fair share of defending themselves and only learned that if you beat up a straight person for being homophobic, that the courts might come down on you way harder than they would on that person. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, these lessons have been learned. Like this is, it's hard for me to believe that anyone involved in this movie even knows someone who's gay, let alone is gay themselves. You know what I mean? Like it's so up its own ass and it is, it's very tiresome to be these people who are complaining because it's not fun things. It's not like continuity errors or stupid, whatever. It is just frustrating how idiotic and prejudiced this movie is while it thinks that it's being so progressive. So it's a little tiresome to go over and over again. But it is funny to me, the parts that were sort of funny in a meta way were how while they're making this movie that's trying to be nicer to gay men, they have to also be racist. There's so much racism. And as we you pointed out, Doug, sexism in this movie, that doesn't need to be there. That like it's just clear that these motherfuckers don't know what the fuck they're doing. So I think most listeners would already know the biggest example of that in this movie, but I feel like we should still bring it up specifically. So rather notoriously, in many Adam Sandler movies... Rob Schneider pops up for a small part and he plays different nationalities. And in this movie, he shows up uh, as a, um, the, the couple, they, by the way, so at the time in 2007, when this movie came out, I believe gay marriage was not legal in most states in the United States, if any states. So in order for Chuck and Larry to get married, they have to go up to Canada to do it. And by the way, that's not how this works. You can't just have it. You, that's just, that's not how anyway. To be legally married in the United States, that's not how that really worked. But anyway, they are married by a Japanese man. And he's played by Rob Schneider wearing makeup to look Japanese and doing a Japanese quote-unquote voice. And this was 2007. Not that it was ever okay, but he's basically doing the Mickey Rooney Breakfast at Tiffany's character of this. I mean, he's not quite as like wild and shouting and stuff like that. What the fuck? In a movie that is trying to have this message, what is this doing in it? They don't know how not to do that, Doug. Like, that is... They... By the way, there's no difference in doing that and doing blackface. There's no difference at all. It's None. the same fucking thing. I mean, there is to the extent that there's a certain kind of white person who thinks that that racist joke is funny, whereas black racist jokes are somehow not funny. And I see these folks all the time. They're like, well, yeah, I mean, you got to be nicer to black people. I mean, they were slaves. But like Asian? Nah, that's there's nothing there. And it's like, nah, dog, it's fucked. Whatever it is you're doing, it's fucked. And you need to stop. But like, that person exists, Doug, even now. And hopefully it's mostly just like Gen X and boomers. You know, I hopefully the, the millennials and the Gen Z have let go of this obsession with mocking other people who are different than them. But there's just something about Asian stereotypes that still seem to persist, even among people who think they are a little more progressive. They just love mocking Asian people. And it's really crazy to me, man. I'll tell you, when I was watching this... Th- Briefly in this movie, Tila Tequila shows up. Do you remember Tila Tequila, Liam? 
Only vaguely. She was a model uh, at uh, the time yes, this yes, movie yes, 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 came yes, yes. out. Uh, you know, one of the most downloaded people on MySpace, I think. You know how people were back then. And she's in this movie, and she later became infamous for writing blog posts about how much she loved Hitler and uh, fascist ideology. And honestly, she clearly has very severe mental health issues. But I, when she showed up in this movie, it felt like a metaphor for the movie as a whole, right? It's this package that is trying to seem progressive that is really just a, a package of hate in a different costume. You know, it's in a different mm-hmm. disguise mm-hmm. and it's trying to kind of, and again, if, if, if say the Jessica Biel character, instead of being Jessica Biel, a woman that Adam Sandler can just drool after and eventually connect with in terms of a relationship, improbably in this movie, what if that lawyer character was a gay man played by a gay actor who is, who teaches these really homophobic characters, Hey, look, I'm just a regular person trying to live my life. And it's awful. And by the way, when the reveal happens that they're not actually gay, instead of people being rightfully very, very angry about it, they're all like, oh, we get it. These guys, we love these guys anyway. There should be a huge backlash about, especially because of how far and how they, they, they have been in the papers for some fucking reason. I don't understand that either. They published an article about the 19 women who came forward because two random firefighters are trying to create fraud and and do this like that's that was enough to get a newspaper article none of this movie makes fucking sense and it's such a fucking insult one of the things that i have trouble with sometimes liam on our various podcasts is am i being outraged for a community that is that doesn't that this just isn't that big of a deal to them right and i go on letterboxd and there's some uh gay critics on it who have watched this movie who say it doesn't bother me seems fine to me it's it and so I don't want to speak for – I can't speak for the entire queer community. It's completely unfair because I'm not in that community. But I will say, as simply someone who enjoys comedy, this movie isn't funny. It's nope. really, really unfunny. And that's the thing. I went in expecting it to be bad in terms of the content, but still, eh, you know, still pretty funny because I think some of these people have been funny in the past. This movie is fucking awful and not funny and everyone involved with it should actually be pretty ashamed of themselves for being involved with it. And I think it's it's worth noting how many people involved with this movie, including the uh, you know infamous Rob Schneider, turned out to be ultra fucking uh, homophobic, racist monsters later in life. That like yeah. maybe at this point they were a little like yeah okay I you know I I get it yeah people you know live and let live, but eventually they changed their tune right. And I think that. That is emblematic. And even Adam Sandler himself has some politics that I think we are not entirely comfortable with. And I think... Yeah. And he surrounds worth... himself with people with that, which have extreme versions of it, including Rob Schneider, but other people yeah. as well. Yeah. So I think it's worth keeping that in mind that not only does this movie suck, the people involved with it, a bunch of them suck. And I'm sure the few people involved with it who don't suck might regret having been in this shitty movie. And I do want to say that, like, we can't speak for that community. I don't need to feel like I'm speaking for that community to say that I found it gross. And I know just as many gay critics who think this is a piece of shit. Oh, they absolutely. Thought, they thought I don't it want was to the day that, that it came the, the, out. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to suggest that the overwhelming feeling is that. It's just when I was looking at, at some reviews for this, I was surprised to see so much positivity from, and I should say, People who say that they're gay. Uh, I mean, I don't mean to question that, but I mean, this is the internet. Sometimes if you're trying to defend something that is problematic, you 
people go in weird directions with it. Oh yeah, I mean like all the people during the the summer of rage who were just white people pretending to be black on Twitter, yes, and saying like I don't support this at all. Yeah, no, I get, I, I, I that's always a possibility, but it doesn't matter, right? I can watch this as an individual with my own feelings and say I can't believe how gross this is. You could do a version of this movie that would also be not the best idea. And still have it be less gross than this, right? Like, I could see, as we said, all these people doing a movie like this that we'd still say, uh, bad call, guys. And it wouldn't be that gross. It just would be, you know, poorly thought out, you know, not as funny as it could be, but, you know, it's fine. It's It was it was well intended, you know. Uh, let's, let, let's call it, you know, the help of gay comedy movies, right? Or... Uh, the green book of gay comedy movies, right? Like you could do a version of this that is not great, but isn't truly gross. This is so far beyond the sort of like centrist uh, sentimentality I thought I was going to get. This is fucking awful. And I'm mad that we watched it. It's also two hours long, by the way. Two hours for nothing, for nothing. You know, I'm just on the IMDb page for I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry, and there's a section for alternate versions, Liam. And I was I was like, alternate versions? Is there an even longer version? It says, and I don't know if this is true, it says, a kiss between the two main characters, both male, were cut from the United States version of the film to obtain a PG-13 rating. Now, I don't know if that's true, but if it is true, think about how fucking embarrassing that is. That a movie that is right, that the idea that's like, Oh, we had to cut out a something that could be, you know, at least it could be symbolically meaningful to show two men kiss. That there's so much gay panic at the center of this. Not only does this reflect badly on the filmmakers, but certainly it reflects badly on the MPAA, which would a rating between uh, a rating could change between PG-13 and R because two people kissing are of the same sex. I mean, I look, we we grew up in an era where this was, you know, the MPAA. We know. And still is was this horrific, you know, uh, um, censorship body that kept queer movies from being shown, that kept uh, you know controversial topics from ever being addressed in a lot of movies, and would punish people for trying to get these elements into their movie. But if this is the case in two thousand seven, in a comedy starring people who are like extremely popular, a mainstream comedy, what an embarrassment! What a horrific embarrassment for everybody who who was. You know, you think you would take the hit and be like, look, this is important to show these men kissing, to show that we are not disgusted by it, that it is not something that we're panicked by. But nope, this movie shows that it's just as homophobic as the people that it's presenting in the movie. Liam, let's talk about Steve Buscemi, the actor who is, sadly, in this movie. Uh, He plays a character named Clint Fitzer. What is this character, Liam? So he's the bad guy, Doug. He's the he's the embodiment in you know in every sort of white apologia movie. You need the real racist to make all the other racist white people seem not racist, right? right. That's Steve Buscemi. He's the real homophobe in the movie. Now, granted, lots of characters are homophobic in the movie, but some of them are capable of going, "Hey, maybe I'm wrong about that." He is nope, not capable. No, nope. see, that's where you're wrong, Liam. Those other people aren't homophobic. They're just a little confused. They're just confused. There's only one kind of homophobia. It's the kind of pe- it's like the Rob Corddry character. It's, it's the yes. people who shout yes. at people on the street. Yes. That's homophobia. The rest of the stuff, eh, it's just people who just don't know better. And so Steve Buscemi is asked to be the most just vile, creepy dude. He's given some of the worst stupid lines in the movie. He is 
basically being uh, a, a kind of a boogeyman that really embodies the way a lot of these people actually feel. Yeah, he goes through their trash. He needs he needs them to prove that they're an actual gay couple, right? He's 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 uh, he actually has been designed to look a little bit like John Waters. I think I know that the Steve Buscemi John Waters thing has been like a, a joke for a long time, but I he has the mustache, like the John Waters mustache, for some reason in this. I don't know why that is. Uh, they just want to make him look despicable, basically. Yeah. yeah, and so he's supposed to be the person who's trying to prove that these these horrible men are pretending to be gay, something that he does not agree with. Uh, by the way, they are pretending to be gay, and he is right to suspect that that's what they're trying to do. He's just doing it. The fact that this guy, whose job it is to prove gay couples are not actually gay, is also extremely homophobic. That seems to be like that's problematic on another level. But yeah, uh, so yep, he's, yep. he's 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 playing a gross dude. And I mean, I hate to say it, Steve Buscemi is actually very good at playing gross dudes. Yeah. Uh, but at least, and he's actually one of the few people in this movie who actually acquits himself pretty well because. He's as hateful as the rest of the movie is, but at least he's supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> this is one of those times, and we've done this before, where the actor that we're covering is doing faithfully what they're being asked to do. And while that is not great because this movie is bullshit, you can't say that they're bad in the movie per se. Right. I think the part that I can say is bad is that he agreed to do this fucking movie. And granted, he's got some sort of connection to Sandler where he's willing to do all kinds of stupid shit for this guy. And we've seen him make lots of good decisions. So you can't say he just makes bad decisions. But in this case, I can say I regret this podcast. This is the first time, and we've covered other movies that I did not enjoy. This is the first time where I'm getting a little bit of a sure glad we didn't take a blood oath on this one because yeah. mm-hmm. Jesus, this was a nightmare. Yeah, this was a nightmare. I, I just want to say before we finish up, I think Vin Grams is actually really good in this movie, even though he's playing a despicable role. Um, and I wish that that character, which is a character that had the potential to be something interesting, and he is bringing something really unique to it. I wish that that was something. I wish it was again. A character in a better movie, but I guess you can hope that for just about everybody in this fucking movie. Dave Matthews shows up, by the way, in this movie. Remember Dave Matthews, Liam? <sighs> it took me a sec to be like, why does this guy look familiar? And I'm like, oh, right, that's Dave Matthews. Cool, glad I have another reason not to like that dickhead. <laughs> so that was 1997's I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry. Liam, would you recommend it to listeners of this show? No. No, I would not, Doug. <laughs> I would recommend that every copy of this movie be destroyed, honestly. Uh, no, I mean, it's we're, we're overstating it because it was so unpleasant. It's not the worst thing that's ever existed in the history of movies or anything like that. But it sucks, and I don't think there's any good reason to watch it, really, because it's just not fun in any way. It's very much a tedious experience that is so self-righteous in its grossness that you just want to turn it off. It's a combination of the two worst kind of movies for me, which is A, a bad comedy, and B, a confused message movie, which is this movie is so confused that it actually, I think homophobic people probably enjoy it more than non-homophobic fucking people. I agree. I agree. Uh, On the next episode, we're going to turn things around, hopefully, Liam, on How Do You Do, Fellow Kids. We're going to be watching 2000's Animal Factory, directed by Steve Buscemi. Yes. About a young man going to prison and a tough older convict who takes him under his wing as a mentor, starring Willem Dafoe and Edward Furlong, as well as a great supporting cast, including Tom Arnold, Mickey Rourke, Danny Trejo. On the next episode of How Do You Do, Fellow Kids, 2000's Animal Factory. Have you seen this one before, Liam? Never. 
Me either. I remember when it came out. I remember the reviews were quite good for it. Seymour yeah. Cassell, by the way, is in it as well, which is going to be fun. I uh, haven't seen him for a little while. Yeah, I'm looking forward to I got to get this the taste of this fucking movie out of my mouth on the next episode. Hopefully, we'll, we'll do that. Cool. <laughs> Liam, <laughs> if people want to find uh, you or your work online, what's the best way for that to happen? Well, folks can always head over to cinepunks.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X uh, for the latest episodes of this podcast, as well as other podcasts I'm on, like Cinepunks and Horror Business, but a whole family of podcasts that I'm not on, like The Carnage Report, Twitch of the Death Nerve, Tomb of Ideas. It's, it's, it's a whole family over there. Um, they can, of course, find the archive of this show organized by the various topics we cover at cinemasmorgasbord.com. Uh, and, it, you know... Uh, Cinepunks is on social media. We're still on Twitter. We're not on the other Johns yet, but just look us up. C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. Hopefully, eventually, you'll be able to find us wherever you want to find us. You can follow Liam on Twitter, sort of, at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. I'm no longer on there, at Doug underscore Tilly. <laughs> I've been kicked off forever, as I've mentioned on the recent podcast, but I am over on Blue Sky. Uh, I'm going to focus on that for, I think, the next little bit to see if it wins the microblogging world, but we will see. As Liam already mentioned, yes, cinemasmorgasbord.com is where you can find our collection of podcasts, including ones devoted to Paul Bartel, Alejandro Jodorowsky, Jackie Chan, uh, and many others over at cinemasmorgasbord.com and on Twitter at cinemasmorg, S M O R. Gee, I also should mention that recently, after a three-year break, I have returned uh, with my No Budget Nightmares podcast that I do with Mo Porn. That's a podcast devoted to micro-budget and shot-on-video cinema. You can find that over at nobudgetpodcast.com. We recently covered a movie called Zillafoot, a kaiju comedy, very low-budget, that you can also watch on YouTube and Tubi very easily. But for now, Liam, we need to take a break, maybe a lengthy break. <laughs> We're going to be back pretty soon with 2000s. Animal Factory. Good night, everyone. Night-night.